Giving into shame, the trends, not our thing. The size of what you put in your mouth matters. <laughs> Tell that to your husband. <laughs> it's a T-Rex cookie. Stop with that dirty mind. It's not gluten-free, it's not vegan, it's not what you typically see in the frozen section of your grocery store. Buy it, eat it, share it, or don't. We're not here to make you feel good about your decisions. Head to trexcookie.com for a full list of retailers near you. <laughs> I didn't write this shit. <laughs> hey there, Tina Rexing. I'm not a PhD. I'm not a psychologist. Tell me about your problems. I'm not even an MBA. Hey, your PNL is really lacking synergy. I'm someone who muscled my way through roles in corporate America. Then one day, I unapologetically took the leap, launched T-Rex Cookie Company. Oh my God, what was I thinking? Does that make me an expert on how to start a business? Nope. Now let's get your big girl and big boy pants on and lift the lid on the Cookie Jar Confessionals. On the pod today, Angie Gustafson, the founder and owner of Gustola Granola. She and I started the same small commercial kitchen, and we also started at the farmer's markets before we launched our brands into grocery stores. Our conversation after this. When I first started selling cookies, actually, no, when I started T-Rex Cookie Company way back in 2015, I knew A, I wanted to make cookies, and B, I wanted to sell them at the farmer's market, only because I was a huge fan of the Minneapolis farmer's market, and I would always buy stuff from there, and how how hard could it possibly be to make cookies and bring them and put them on a table and have people buy them? <laughs> Answer is super freaking hard. I spent my early adult life trying to get a corporate job to, so I could have a normal job, but when I decided to quit, my parents were my first employees um, for T-Rex Cookie because they supported me. They would get up at like ass crack of dawn and show up at the city food studio at like three or four in the morning to help me make cookies. You know, I guess it was a really good bonding experience with my parents. I kind of miss those days where I would drag my parents along and I would pay them with breakfast after getting up at so so early in the morning, after we got done with production, I would uh, thank them by buying them breakfast. As you grow as a food business, moving from like making cookies in your house to a commercial kitchen so you can legally sell food outside of a farmer's market, we were in a commercial kitchen. And not everyone can afford kitchen equipment. So the shared commercial incubator kitchen is where Angie and I met. It's literally like having roommates. Some of them you like and some of them you just absolutely can't stand because you're sharing the space, you're sharing equipment with people who are making fermented cabbage next to chocolate chip cookies. The biggest learning is learning how to work with other food manufacturers in the same space and watching each other grow because similar to, to Bernie from Double Take Salsa, my very first conversation on this podcast to Angie, we all started in the same place. And now we're kind of seeing each other evolve into the brands that we are today. Welcome Angie Gustafson of Gustola Granola to the podcast today. Hi, Angie. Hi, Tina. <laughs> so Angie and I go way back, way back where we both started selling our products at the farmer's markets, but we met each other at our 
uh, commercial community kitchen called City Food Studio in South Minneapolis. And what that is basically for you listeners is when you're a food company and you need and you want to sell stuff to people, you need to be in a commercial kitchen. Which is, uh, the laws are a little bit different now with the the pickle bill, right? Where you can make stuff at home. And you could do that before too, but you you could could. only sell at farmer's markets. Right. And you were probably more scale than maybe you could bake out of your own home too. So I started the farmer's markets baking in my own home. But then once I wanted to go to retail grocery, that's when I had to go to City Food Studio. Got it. So yeah, both of us started in this commercial kitchen. And let's just talk about our experience in a commercial shared kitchen, shall we? Because... People are like, ooh, that's so sexy. You, you're in this commercial kitchen. But here's the reality. It's like having roommates in college that you just absolutely, some of them you're okay with, and then some of them you're like completely grossed out by. Um, that's basically what it was like to share a commercial kitchen. That's my own view. Maybe it's yours so is different. It's so funny you say that. I was just <laughs> thinking of that this morning as I have kids that are in college right now. Yeah. I'm like, it's just like living in a big house with a bunch of college roommates, right? Trying to keep the kitchen clean or yep. at least, yes, all those things. So I remember my slot in the kitchen, just because no one else wanted that slot, was like four in the morning until like maybe eight. And you tried to get as much of your stuff done in that slot of time. And then you would follow me. Um, Sometimes you would follow me on certain days of the week, right? And sometimes we were together. Yeah. Correct. So tell me about how you found that commercial kitchen and how you landed there and kind of the backstory of Gustola Granola. Well, I, okay, so we'll get into the whole farmer's market thing, but sure. I started at the farmer's market. And okay. at the end of the market season, uh, we had fans that were like, where can we get your granola? And mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, it's, the snow's flying, there's no more markets, and mm-hmm. I'm only licensed to sell it, you know, at farmer's markets. So I took a break, and um, I would say February of the next year, I was talking with a grocery buyer at our local co-op, and I had all these questions about bringing it to retail. And he says, I have no idea how to advise you to bring it to retail, but I'll tell you what. If you do figure it out, I'll start carrying, I'll carry it. So that's what led me to, so then I needed to find a commercial kitchen. And so I started researching that and I visited City Food Studio, Love Journey, just like that. This will be, and it was convenient to my home. And so that's how I got started there. Well, Journey and I used to work together in corporate. So he used to work at Target and Journey actually is the owner of City Food Studio and he had you know, everyone knew of him opening this commercial kitchen for small business owners. So I'm like, well, let me just reach out and talk to him about it. And similar to me, you also came from a corporate background, right? I did. So I went to school for marketing, Mm -hmm. uh, the business school at Wisconsin, and I ended up working in corporate financial services. So I worked for a large insurance company in downtown St. Paul. And so I did that for a few years out of college. My husband and I were also Peace Corps volunteers. Um, and so then we started a family, and then I was a stay-at-home mom for, for many years. I tried that whole thing. I couldn't do it. God bless you for being able to do a stay-at-home mom thing. Um, well, so, daycare for four kids is a little, a little expensive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, were you a baker in your past life, or is that something you did as a hobby? How did granola come about in your, in your world? Well, granola specifically, yes, I did a lot of cooking because I had four kids that were hungry and a husband, et cetera. But I am also a daily runner. And so I would, and I run really early in the morning before the kids get up. And so I'd run, come home, starve, but I got to wake them up and get them ready for school. So I started playing around with granola recipes. And I had done a lot of baking, but not granola. And I don't know why, but I just didn't. So I started trying all these different recipes and landed upon one that we really loved and like all good Midwesterners do, started sharing 
sharing with friends and family and coaches, et cetera. And so many were saying, you've got to do something with this. Like, this is really different. So that's how it started. So we all know that the granola industry is very, there's a lot of people in it. So I want to know and let the listeners know too, like, how do you, how would you differentiate Gastola versus Nature Valley or whomever is out there, who your biggest competition is? Super question. And given what we've talked about kind of leads right into the answer is like, we are that homemade taste. Sure. That some people value. I think a lot of people value. So I don't know if it harkens back to when they were growing up or you just, you know, you want to taste the ingredients and feel good about what's in the what's in the bag. So I think we um, I haven't changed the recipe since I made it in my home kitchen. I mean, it's been scaled up, obviously, to, to go into all these grocery stores, but it's the same recipe. It's that high quality um you can taste the oats, you can taste the nuts, you can see the nuts, we kind of leave everything whole. Um, and I would say our magic three ingredients are olive oil, egg white, and maple syrup. I don't think there's another granola that I know mm-hmm. of on the market that has those three. And I it think just gives what, it a cool crunch. That, yeah, what's I think what I've had your product before, and what I think what sets it apart is that the pieces are much bigger than any other granola I've seen in terms of like, oh, it looks like just a bunch of oats mixed in with some nuts. But yours are like giant clumps of granola, uh, which I think is totally different than everybody else's. Yes. So you can use that as a marketing tool too. But um, in terms of, let's go back to the kitchen and your experience in the commercial kitchen um, and having crazy ass roommates. What was it like for you? From your perspective, I know what it was like for me in my perspective, but for you, getting into that commercial kitchen. You know, my biggest takeaway, well, I should share one story, and I hadn't even thought about this in thinking of, you know, trying to think back Mm -hmm. to memories. I actually flooded it the second time I was in. So I don't know how many of, with water. (laughs) I don't know how many of you have have worked in the restaurant um, or in kitchens and seen the three basin sink. And I was filling them and multitasking, completely forgot about the water being on. And I hear uh, uh, Angie, and so Buddy, I don't know how many of you have heard of Buddy's nut butter, but he was making his peanut butter at the same time, and he goes back, and he sees water just, like, cascading over the, and there's, like, an inch or two of water. (laughs) I just panicked. I'd never worked in a kitchen before. But I, the experience of City Food, um, I loved it. I loved the, I loved the people that I met. I mean, the biggest takeaway from that is just really excellent folks for the most, but the ones that I worked side by side with and including you, you know, oh, it's just real, I'm no, like, she must hate me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Of course not. No, we've stayed in touch. And so that's just been a highlight of the, the adventure thus far, but it does, isn't without its challenges. Right. I would, you know, some things like you know, believe it or not, your like granola in a, in a plastic bag can take on the smell and taste of kimchi when it's stored right next to it, yes. right? So there were a lot of different food products being, and I love kimchi, but not granola, right? Like I don't want my granola tasting like kimchi. So there were a lot of challenges, just different. Yeah, I think what it taught me was that I, and I, I should have known this for myself in college because I did not deal with well with roommates in college. Um, so it should have been a precursor that I probably wouldn't deal well with people sharing a commercial kitchen space for me. Um, my biggest challenge was I have gluten in my product and I would follow people who are gluten-free. And if I was before them, I would have to scrub down my stuff 10 times harder um, if a gluten-free person would come up 
after me, which was a challenge. And then there were people who just like the, usually the food truck people that would come in and just terrible kind of like kind (laughs) of wash their dishes, maybe. Um, and you walk in and it's just complete raw chicken everywhere. So I think it was a nice wake up call to me that mm, maybe this isn't the right spot. It was good. Like now I know what I can deal with and what I can't deal with. Um, I think if you're a neat freak really into things being really clean, yeah, it can be a challenge. It's going back to those college days. Yeah. And you know, let's not lie. I mean, the food industry is extremely, it's, it's friendly yet competitive. Mm -hmm. And so when there's other people in the kitchen who kind of have a product that, you know, you have only so much money at a farmer's market. If I have $20, am I going to buy granola, cookies, spice nuts, whatever. And it kind of felt like this competitive nature of and I'm super competitive. Like I am too. Like if I took, I took. We're still in Finder, this, Tina. Right? <laughs> Strengths Finder to me is like Tina is like off the charts competitive. And so when I'm in the kitchen with somebody else who's kind of my competitor, I'm like, oh, how can I take their knees out? But <laughs> that's just me. Uh, some something I learned about myself. But as we grew our company, as we eventually moved out of the kitchen, correct? We did. And so, what was your tipping point? Of like, I, I need to get out of city food and and get get bigger. What oh my gosh! Well, one of my tipping points is when I started needing to order like pallets of oats. Okay, and there's no loading dock at City Food Studio, yeah. and so it needed to be dropped off on the front sidewalk of a Minneapolis street. And <laughs> if it's raining and you've got oats, that's not a good thing. And I would have to schlep them bag by bag, fifty pound bags down really old rickety stairs, kind of thing, you know. So that was really that in the abil- the inability to store a bunch of product. Like once you start getting into a number of grocery stores and say they want to put you on display, like on an end cap. Yeah. You need a lot more product than what you're used to supplying to just be on a regular shelf. And yeah. you don't figure this stuff out until you actually experience and get a purchase order you know, or an order from a, a retailer saying, this is how much we want for this promotion. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I guess I can't do that because you don't even have a place to store. Right. And so that's when I really need. Also, um, my kids were the ones that were hand labeling every single granola bag front and back i mean they labeled more bags than any child should ever have to do in a lifetime it was, <laughs> that was just, my parents it yes. was it was your parents right it was just time so yeah and that was mine too where i ended up on uh, a stint on the today show kind of pushed my business over the edge just because, a little bit <laughs> yeah because both of us went in to let's just sell these things at farmers markets and see what happens right tina i've got to inter- i remember you that morning <laughs> when you were going to be flying out you know just frantically gathering up all your stuff how exciting so oh, it's like, oh my gosh, she's going to the Today Show. That was, yeah, I want to say that was the point where I'm like, oh shit, this is like real now. Before it was like, I'm just going to go to farmer's markets and sell cookies. What a cute little business, right? But then when it gets kicked over the edge where you're starting to panic on where the labor is going to come from, can I buy enough butter, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. was was a, where I decided to scale and move on from that space. I mean, that's what incubator kitchens are supposed to do, right? You're not supposed to be there forever. And so for those food makers out there who are wondering, what can take me over the edge? It's basically um, when you decide that you're just outgrowing your space. 
And yeah. Can I mention one other yeah. thing that I really loved about that experience in, in the commercial kitchen? So when your mom and dad would come early <laughs> in the morning and Tina, I don't know if you remember this. And of course, this isn't how it's done anymore, but I used to. So we have egg whites and that's kind of one of our magic differentiating ingredients. And I used to not producing enough quantity to buy just egg whites by themselves in the way that I need them. So I used to hand shell them. And it's like, oh my gosh, what do I do with all of these yolks? Oh my gosh, I remember and that. And your mom makes this incredible Filipino flan, right? Yep. You know, yeah, she still flan. does. And she'd say, I'll take your egg whites and or egg, egg, yolks, egg yolks. And then and then she would make the flan. And my fam- everybody in my family misses those days. Oh my gosh. When that, we would get I remember your mom's that. flan. Because I remember when she came first and we watched you separate the eggs. And then she's like, what does she do with those yolks? I'm like, I think she throws them away. And she was mortified. She's like, yeah. oh, my God, she throws <laughs> them away. And so, yeah, she saved the egg yolks from from disaster and yes. made it into flan. Super high-fattening food, but it was delicious. Yeah, and my mom, that was a fun thing, too, is um, being in that small, small business environment where I can bring my parents in at three or yeah. four o'clock in the morning and and share that growth with them. Yeah. But now it's to a point where both of us are in the space where are you actually doing production right now? Are you actually making granola? Not at all. Do no. you miss actually making granola? I do not miss making the granola. You know I think what? because we made so much of it, right? I For totally a while feel there, you then I because just... when people ask me, have you made a cookie? I'm like, actually, I can't remember the last time I actually made a cookie myself. But there are bakers that do that for their entire lives and enjoy it. And I think that's yeah. not why I got into this business is because I, you know, like the actual making of the granola. It's more like creating a brand that really so makes customers So you went in wanting happy. to create a brand. I went in wanting to be a farmer's market vendor. Okay. So I just, me. I went to school at a college with a really great farmer's market and then in the Peace Corps, all the open air markets, right? And I always thought it'd be really cool to actually be the farmer, like growing produce and bringing to a market. But that's not a skill set that I have and I don't have the land in, in the middle of Minneapolis to, to mm-hmm. farm. And so, you know, granola I could bring to a farmer's market. So it was a way to engage my kids in a fun summer business adventure. That's why I did it with no plans to really go beyond that summer so market po- experience. So at what point after you talked to the person managing that co-op, was that the point where you decided, you know, maybe I'll start growing a brand? It's that competition thing, Tina, right? Like you said, I'll bring it in. And I'm like, well, I knew then there, I have, there was a reason I liked it. I have to figure that out, right? And I have to try that. And then it was like, well, now that I'm on the shelf, I want to beat all these national brands that are sitting next to me too, right? On the shelf. So so it's like, be careful what you wish for, right? Yeah. Because when, you know, before coming on to record, we started talking about how different a farmer's market is as we evolve, and let's call it evolve. We're evolving into a a bigger brand, probably not what we thought about when we first started landing at a farmer's market, but the whole grocery side of the world. We, let's, we, we call it CPG, consumer packaged goods. So you'll, you'll hear us talking about that, that acronym. Um, CPG is basically our product in a bag that consumers can purchase. So Angie, talk to me about the development of your product from a farmer's market product to landing on the shelf at a grocery store. 
I think the farmer's market is a fantastic place to start. And again, it comes back to, you know, why are you doing this? And Mm -hmm. you, you know, we've all heard the stories about how you liked baking and bringing it to work and making Mm -hmm. people, your coworkers happy, right? Same kind of thing. I love making food and making my family or friends or whatever happy. And so, and I thought when I took that to the farmer's market, you know, you just, the, the really great thing about that is you're doing consumer research Every time you go to the market, right, you're developing relationships with with the market goers and you're getting direct feedback right there. Like, what do they like? What don't they like? Mm -hmm. And they oftentimes don't always share what they don't like. Right. But you get a sense. It's Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's Minnesota for sure. Um, And I just you get all kinds of tips. I there was um, there was a woman that came every single week with her dog. And I'm not sure she ever tried my granola, but her dog loved my granola and he would try every single flavor (laughs) she's like my dog just looks forward to coming here and i don't know if that's a compliment or not but other people would you know just really say i really love this flavor i don't love and that's how we came that's how i came to market with four different flavors because i probably brought 20 to 30 different flavors to the farmer's market the first summer and i'd always rotate kind of the favorites but you know and surprising right that not Everybody, the masses didn't necessarily think what I thought was spectacular was spe- yeah, spectacular. Yeah, it's basically right? you have your own like test kitchen right there. Right there, yep. And the the what's nice about it, and let me know if you you've heard this from your your followers from the original OG farmers market purchasers. But when they see you on the grocery store shelves, they get excited. I know I do when I see your stuff on a grocery store shelf. The, that that. I don't know what I would do without this base community, right? They've just been fans and they tell people about it and they ship it across the country to people that they know. And yeah, people love to be connected to to brands. And How many people, if you had a quarter for every time someone's like, oh, I remember you when. Oh, lots. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when Tina was just slinging cookies by herself with her mom at farmer's markets. And And now we're just huge success stories. Oh, yes. We're we're gazillionaires. (laughs) We're gazillionaires. Yes. Because we own our own business. We have all this money. And let's just... That's a whole nother topic. (laughs) uh, That brings us back to our CPG discussion about how it... What's it like to get into a grocery store? And if you haven't seen it, Gastola Granola has the cutest bag and has their cute story in the back. So talk to me about your process of creating the bag and the packaging, which is essentially the first step into getting into grocery is that you have to come up with your packaging and we won't get into the minutia of UPC barcodes because that's just super boring, but FYI, you need those going into grocery stores. But how did you, how did you develop your packaging? Um, Great question. I I started at the farmer's market with, I love craft. I love just craft grocery bags, craft paper. I'm really into that whole brown bag thing. And so I had craft bags with a clear window for my granola at farmer's markets. And I really wanted to keep that. I wanted to keep that even going into the grocery stores. I was tired of hand labeling, so were my kids. But I would have loved to even print on that brown paper bag. There's this problem, though, that it didn't have the right barrier protection Mm. to keep the product, to to give the product the shelf life that it would need on a grocery store shelf, right? When you're selling at a farmer's market, shelf life's not that critical because buying it, they're eating it right away. But, you know, once you get into CPG and get into grocery stores, there needs to be a certain amount of shelf life. The longer, the better. So that's why I had to move to more of a plastic pouch. But I wanted to keep that 
kind of wholesome farmer's market look. So it looks like it's a craft bag, and then we've added black and white to just make it pop, the names. So how long did it take to, for you from start of the design to, yep, this is it? Was it a long Not process too for you? long. I have just a really, really awesome designer. Okay. That I just, I think craft beer um, does a really great job with branding. And so okay. I would look at the Growler publication, right? Okay. And there were de- designers that advertised their services in there. And, and I picked one, just, you know, random pick, and we met, and he's done almost all my design work. So thank you for your compliments on the packaging. That's, That's great. I'm really proud of it. And, and we, it, I found that when we're pitching to the buyers of grocery stores, the first thing they look at is the packaging. And I, that was my... My, you know, growth into CPG was I would walk up and down the freezer aisles of what does my competition look like and what colors are present in the freezer aisles. And where I, I play in the grocery stores, the freezer section, and I play in the, the doors that have pies, <laughs> lots of pies. So there's a lot of boxes and lots of cool wet. And so when I picked the blue bag for me to go into the grocery store, I'm like, oh, there's nobody that's in this, no. in this color range. And then the... The texture and feel of your bag is very similar to my frozen bag, where it's like a soft, soft, a soft feel. It's not soft touch. Yeah, yeah, it's called soft touch. So it makes it, it gives it a lot more of a higher, um, higher quality feel to it. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the whole logic of going into CPG is not only the product that goes in the bag, it's what the bag looks like. That's that helps sell it initially, right? The contents have to be great, but yes, you got to get noticed on shelf. So and where were you? I remember seeing you for the first time. I want to see it at Hy-Vee. I'm like, oh my God, Angie's on the shelf. And I think I took a picture of it and sent it to you. You did. <laughs> that's right. And and I think Cub early on too, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Tina, you're such a, you know, and everybody that knows you knows this. I mean, you're just, a, you're, you're a wonderful, um, connector and cheerleader and you know you're supportive of small brands and just really have an interest you know so it's great it's just fun for me to like say that oh I remember her when Mm -hmm. when you know you gave my mom egg yolks to make fun (laughs) and the whole like when I saw Bernie on the shelf for the first time at Target um, just to see these folks kind of grow up with me is like a really big thing in terms of being in this business Um, because there's other makers out there who are not so kind yeah. You know, and it's, I won't say who they are, but I have a whole list of those people. Just don't piss me off, people, because <laughs> I might call you out. But um, so we talked about the farmer's market and how we kind of evolved from there. And you said your first place you ended up on the shelves was... The Have Linden you? Hills Co-op, actually. Okay. So it was that buyer that I went to. Yes. He brought it on, and then he talked to the wedge. And the wedge can, you know, as far as co-ops go, it can be a really difficult one to get into. But he was pretty adamant that, like, you have to take this brand. And then Kowalski's, which mm-hmm. I feel like really walks the local talk. You know, yep. they say they support local, and they do. Um, and then it was Lunds and Byerly's and hy And, right, once we had the capacity, the production capacity to go into more grocers, then I would say most all of the locally owned have been really supportive, which is super. Yeah. I, well, we have completely different products. So I tried the co-op route <laughs> for T-Rex cookie, but um, apparently I'm not healthy enough. Shocking. Um, to We're be pretty in, healthy. That's yeah, our you advantage are, there. You we, are very yes, healthy. Yeah. And I've never like pretended to be healthy because one cookie is over a thousand calories. <laughs> um, yeah. When I brought the cookies to the wedge, I'm like, hey, healthy people. Have like a super packed gluten 
sugar cookie. And they're like, these are great, but we can't sell them here. <laughs> we all need to indulge though. But I know, but yeah. totally fine. I'm like, I, everyone finds their niche when yeah. we're in the space, right? For sure. So would you think that your corporate background has really helped you get to where you are today? Because it gave you some insight from a numbers perspective that most small business owners don't have. You know, that's a great question. Probably. Yeah, I guess, honestly, the answer has to be yes. I mean, you know, I went through a business school, so I have some of that background, but I, um, but I don't have any CPG food background, and it is very different. Um, but yeah, I just, I think some of those business basics and, and knowing and being comfortable talking to people who have the experience in, in that particular industry. Right. So yeah. it's like I come from the business world. So maybe it's just much easier for me to just call somebody from General Mills or Kellogg's or whatever and have a conversation to try and learn, you know, how I can apply that to my business. I think where it's kind of helped me having that business background is not to be intimidated by the man in terms of like oh. a, their business, their big, they just happen to be bigger. But the fact that you can speak their language is super helpful for them to like, oh, I, do I have to like talk down to this to this vendor who doesn't know anything about business? I think it's been really helpful for me to like call their bullshit when they kind yeah. of like, oh, hey, I have to listen to Tina now because she actually knows what she's talking about. Yeah. Shocking. I yeah. know. But, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. But I also think there's just so many people that – even if you don't have that business background, that you can grow a food business, right? And find yeah. all kinds of mentors and, you know, people with that knowledge that can be so helpful. So what would you say is like the biggest thing you've learned from soup to nuts, from when you started at a farmer's market to where you are today? What is like your biggest takeaway um, that you're sitting with? Our food system's really messed up. Tell I me more like about that. That's super I, interesting. I just feel like it's just... Um, you know, we're just putting a lot of food out there that isn't isn't great for for us, and some of that. And so I'm talking to a cookie person, but I eat cookies. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. It's not like I'm not an ultra healthy, but you know, I just think there's too much of everything in moderation, right? And there's too mm -hmm. many foods that just aren't good for us, and the brands that are trying to put forth products that are healthier and um, can improve our society from that perspective, it's just really hard to compete against against the bigger food and i just and i and i think there's just so people don't realize i think it, they go to a grocery store and they pay the premium price for gustola granola and if they really if they know me they're thinking oh my gosh we're we're helping angie and her family out right we're giving them but the reality is there's there's just so many i put hands in the cookie jar kind oh, of yeah. thing right taking their cut all along the process that there really just isn't much left over it can be really hard to start a food business. I mean, so farmers markets, sure, you make more, but you have a ceiling. You can only mm -hmm. right, you can only make so much because you can only go to so many markets, et cetera. And then as you expand into more and more grocery stores, right, you just have a whole lot of costs. And I just don't think I realize just how how expensive it is, and then just how difficult. There's a lot of competition and really breaking through. You know, you yeah. can say, "Oh my gosh, we have so much success here in our backyard." You know, I should be able to just take this to the next state. Well, they have their own granolas, right? Right. So it's just that's what's been really, really challenging, or just eye-opening. And you've been in the CPG world far longer than me because my – I hate using this word, but it's the only one that works – is my pivot into CPG yeah. was because of COVID um, and having that brick-and-mortar – 
you know, where I sold cookies to actual people who walked in the store took a total hit um, during COVID. And so I'm like, well, what can I do? What can I do where people are actually going to buy my product? And I felt like CPG into the grocery store was the natural progression of yeah. T-Rex cookies. So it was kind of an accidental thing. Now I'm just here. <laughs> I think it's great to have your product in different places. And I also think it's just, it's an incredible, just like what you used to do for your coworkers or your family, it's just an incredible privilege to feed people food that, you know, brings yeah. a smile to their faces, right? And just, so, you know, I, I love that aspect of it. And being able to create your own brand like you have and I have done, right? And, yeah. And, and try to have as much fun with this as possible. It's, yeah, it's it's been... Every once in a while, I have that moment, and I've talked about this before, where I'm like, oh my gosh, it would be so much simpler when my problem was, do I have my tablecloth to sit at the farmer's market? Or how cold is it? Do I have to bring mittens? And that, those were the problems I had, right? Can I make enough cookies to last until noon? Um, but now we just traded it in for a completely different set of problems. <laughs> so... Uh, we wear a lot of hats and you really, cause you're in yeah. a lot of different, you know, it's, it is a lot, it's a lot to juggle. So how do you, uh, kind of bringing us back to your manufacturer that makes your product for you now, how do you maintain the quality control? Well, they, they have the formula, they have my recipe, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've, they're experts at producing products for all, a number of different brands. And so it is really hard to give up that control. I mean, I'm guessing not only are both of us competitive, we're probably pretty bay. Yeah. controlling, right? <laughs> and I'm like, nobody sorry, else is not gonna sorry. Be, yeah, nobody's <laughs> going to be able to make it like I make it or whatever, you know, and it just, um, that's been really hard. And of course, it is not the same. I can make a batch of granola and I still do in my home kitchen all the time. And it's sure. different from... Um, you know, what's in the bags, it's, even though it's the same recipe when they're making it is different hundreds because, and thousands yeah. of pounds of something that just it's a little bit different. But, um, you know, I, I just you you can't you can't continue. Well, I, I couldn't continue to produce it myself. So you just have to give up that troll and trust and you just keep on it, right? You mm -hmm. keep you build a really, really strong relationship, just like they're basically partners of yours employ yeah. they're part of your team and that's so how i treat my manufacturers is like they call them co-packers in in our business term but for me the folks that make my product are essentially my friends but what's helpful <laughs> is because they're my friends and when they screw up the product like maybe forgetting to put half the sugar into a an entire and it batch can happen. it's humans yep. doing it yeah yeah, so we just have to have like the sit down, come to Jesus, like, hey, this is my name on this on this brand. It would be super helpful if you could follow the recipe. <laughs> yeah, um, and they follow. I mean, it's such a tightly regulated industry, and these bigger manufacturers, right? They have mm -hmm. all these licenses and all of right, and they're and they're trying to do the absolute best job that they can do, right? At the end of the day, and right, they're friends of yours, they're part of your team, and I feel that with mine. Um, yes, mistakes happen, and it's it's brutal, it's ugly. I mean, you can imagine, like, I don't. Most of us probably kind of know what a pallet looks like, right? It's the, yeah. the wood thing with, you know, it's stacked like, I don't know how many feet high, 10 feet high maybe, right? Full Mine's of 10 feet high, yes. <laughs> we had an issue one time where the, the heat sealer failed, right? So those bags didn't get sealed all the way shut. So we had to like go in and open and reseal, you know, and they had to just, the things happen, right? It just, but. Yeah. 
And then certain things happen where if the palette isn't stacked correctly, you get fined. <laughs> yes, or uh, topples or forklift goes into the wrong part of the palette. And yes, yeah. on and on and on. But like I said, we trade we trade in our small little problems for different problems as we grow and scale. And that's just part of business, I guess. And if you don't have the stomach for that, then you might have to find something else to do. We are going to do a fun new part of the podcast called Speed Round. And I'm just going to make this up as I go because I... I have this list in front of me. I'm like, ah. You're springing something new on me? It's totally new. So speed round, okay? Oh, my goodness. So basically, I'm going to give you two items or two things, and you have to choose one, and you have to do it quickly. So you can't think about it. So for example, Coke or Pepsi? Oh, Coke. Uh, Thin crust or thick crust? Thin crust. Pepperoni or sausage? Sausage, for sure. Cheddar or mozzarella? Uh, Mozzarella. Chocolate chip or oatmeal raisin? Chocolate chip. Uh, white chocolate. I'm, I'm not supposed to say that on my, I like <laughs> make oats for a living. Sorry. No, well, you need oats with chocolate chips in them. Or how about, uh, Tesla or Prius? Tesla. Oh my gosh. Edina or I Eden would Prairie? choose Jeep though. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. I'll get in trouble for that one. I can't say. Okay. I live too close to Edina. Edina. Oh, that's funny. They eat cake in Edina. That's fine. Beer or wine? Wine for sure. Um, Grilled cheese or hamburger? Hamburger. Fries or tater tots? Fries. That one's cool. Jeez, yeah. that was so easy. Thank you, Tina. I thought you were really going to challenge me. <laughs> oh, here's, the, here's this is where Uh-oh, the challenge comes coming. in right okay. here. So the ending question, because this is cookie jar confessional. If you had to confess a time or act where you broke a rule, pushed a boundary to make your business ideas happen, what would that be? Ooh, Tina. In the tightly regulated industry of food, I could get in a lot of trouble for disclosing something, so... I've got it. You know what? I I don't do anything wrong. Come on. I'm a firstborn. I do follow the rules. Um, But I do. I would say just by virtue of my staying in the ring with my product is pushing the envelope. Right. And Mm -hmm. just, you know, I every buyer you go to with a granola, they're like, you could just see like the eye roll or the, oh, no, not another one. The world doesn't need another granola. And I just keep getting knocked down, stand back up, and just keep pushing it out there and, you know, competing against um, the other brands and trying to, you know, just um, keep delivering a product that our customers love. That's great because I think by nature of, yes, you are you a Scorpio too by nature? No, okay. I'm a Pisces. Okay. So I'm a Scorpio and the firstborn and the only girl in my family. So <laughs> pile all that together. And that's kind of, you know, for me, when you say pu- push the envelope, I thought you were saying, well, you push your competition off the shelf, maybe make them well, look a little. Like, try that too. <laughs> you try to make them look a little bit askew so the customer can't see their brand as nicely and cleanly as yours. Oh, that I don't do. I just do a teeny bit. Just a certain one. I make mine look better on the shelf, but I don't do anything with the customer. You don't. T- you don't. I touch should their... kind of push them back a little bit. You can yeah, push. You can push them back and kind of turn them so they're facing, just not perfectly. Right. Yeah. A little secret. <laughs> okay. 
So that takes us to the end of Cookie Jar Confessional. Angie, thank you so much. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. So great to see you too. Yeah, because we're working so hard now all the time that we don't get to see each other like we used to. No, and I do remember, and for those of you, um, if you ever get a card from Angie, she has a handwriting like a typewriter. Every single online order, you will get a handwritten note from me. Oh, and it's like the so best just, handwriting just so I've you ever know. seen. Well, thank you. That's nice. But that is one crazy thing that I keep doing, but it's really important to me. Well, we have to like hold on to those those things that kind of identify us from, you know, from our competition. Yeah. So we're different. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming. Thanks so much for having me. All the best to T-Rex. You too. Thanks. Stole granola. I'm taking this one home. If you're a fan of our team, our cookies, and unconventional thinking, then give our podcast a review and a rating. If you hate the content, tell us. We'd love to read it, laugh at it. But if it's constructive, we'll certainly take it seriously. We've been successful in the business because of you, the fans, the cookie lovers, and customers. We love you, so if you love Cookie Jar Confessionals, keep listening, keep sharing, and keep supporting. Keep supporting.